Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, good morning. I see most of you have survived uh, end of school or high school graduation or whatever you may have been through uh, over the last week. Uh, we're glad you're here. This past week, uh, I, I was with some of our other pastors and leaders of the church attending a conference up in the woodland, woodlands with a lot of Methodist pastors and church leaders. And, and typically, there are always a, a few pastors who, whenever I, I run into them, immediately they start telling me every detail of their life since the last time we met. They share everything that's gone on. They tell me everything. I mean, it, and it's just kind of on and on and on. And, and I'm, I'm glad to catch up. Don't get me wrong. But, but sometimes it feels like I'm not supposed to talk. Uh, it's just my job to listen, which is really why uh, this past week I, I was a little bit disappointed that I didn't run into another pastor friend whom I always love seeing. His name is Jim Turley. And Jim is, is somewhat older than me, retired a few years ago. But, but several years ago, we both served churches up in East Texas, not that far apart. And we got to know each other and spend some time together. And every time I see Jim whether it's at conference or some other setting. I mean, his face just lights up. He makes a beeline to me and, and just starts talking to me and asking me about how I'm doing. And, and yet, he doesn't just ask me kind of like surface questions, you know, that, that are kind of an excuse to get into how he's doing or to tell me his story or his latest experience or his, his latest uh, accomplishment. He has spent enough time over the years to really get to, to know me, to the point where he asks me really specific questions about, about my pastoral life, about my family, about things like that. And he always, when I talk to him about it, when I share, he just, he looks at me and, and he has this kind of, he kind of cocks his head a little bit and just smiles. And he's just really, he's kind of intense when he listens. I mean, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and sometimes he gets a little closer than I want him to be, but I know he is, he is interested and he's paying attention. He has asked me follow-up questions because he, I just get the sense he really is interested in me and, and wants to, to hear. And, and the reality is I'm a, I'm a bit of an introvert, and, and, and so I don't mind just kind of minding my own business and, and standing quietly off to the side. I don't need to be the center of attention. I don't have to do all that. But when Jim's around, he doesn't let me do that. And, and I find that I've really come to enjoy and appreciate him. I mean, he really is interested in me. And it makes it easy for me to enjoy our relationship together. Now, Jim does something naturally that can be a real blessing to any of us in our own relationships he shows interest in others and i've come to realize that we become interested in people who are interested in us now some of you this is this isn't a secret this is not a surprise i've talked with a, a couple of you who are are, are longtime experienced successful salespersons. And, and you've told me uh, in a couple of different settings about that and how you know, some salesmen, they want to come up and they want to tell you everything they've got and everything they can do for you. 
But these guys say, you know what we do? We, we want to get to know the people that we're, we're working with. We want to listen to them. We want to understand what's going on in their life, in their work, and see how is it that we can come alongside them and add value to what they're doing? How is it that we can meet their need? Not, not try to shift what they're doing to somehow meet what I can offer. You know, they say sometimes we don't have anything to offer them as we listen to them. And I just really appreciate it as I, as I listen to those guys, their intentionality to listen. My, my favorite teachers all through school, it, it wasn't just that they were competent, they were good teachers, but it was also that they were really interested in their students. They cared about their students. They wanted to know what was going on in their lives. You could tell that it wasn't simply a job. It was a calling. And I always got the feeling when I was around those teachers that I mattered to them, that, that my, how I did was, was not just, you know, it didn't really matter they were going to get their paycheck at the end of the day or not, that they cared about me being as successful in school and life as I could be. And so today we're going to look, be looking at the value of being interested in others as a part of our series called Building Successful Relationships, which we're doing alongside a video series of the same name on Right Now Media by Michael and Laura Fletcher. You can go to our website, find a page to learn more about it. If you and a, a friend or a spouse or a small group want to dig deeper, uh, dig more into relationships, then go to the Gateway section on Right Now Media, and you can follow along each week. It will be not only the topic we talk about in here in the worship service, but there will be a six to eight minute video plus a download of some study and resource materials and discussion questions that you can use. Now, I know maybe being interested in others sounds simplistic, or for some of you it's sort of like, duh, of course. I mean, shouldn't we do that? But I want to tell you, it really does have power to build and strengthen relationships, whether they're work relationships, whether they're friendships, whether they're with our spouse or our kids. Do we really, are we interested in what, what's going on in their lives? And the ultimate example of this is Jesus himself. Jesus, the Son of God, left his heavenly home to come down and live with us, putting our interests ahead of his own. The Apostle Paul talks about this in a, his letter to the church at the Roman colony of Philippi in Greece, and we've got a, a map that just kind of shows you where it is up there near the top, just to kind of orient you about the kind of the big picture. And so I want to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, or use the YouVersion Bible app, or you can pull out the notes that are in your bulletin and use those to follow along and take notes and, and so forth. Now, Paul loved the church at Philippi, and it was particularly significant to him because it was the first church he founded in what we would call today Europe. He, he probably visited it a number of times. He stayed in touch with people there, and we know that they continued supporting his mission financially. We also know that Paul wrote this letter while he was, in fact, in prison, probably in Rome, probably in the last years of his life, in the early 60s AD. But even as he faced an uncertain future, 
even as he didn't know what lay ahead for him, he wanted to encourage the Philippians to be united because apparently, as you read through the letter, there's some sense that maybe they're dealing with some degree of conflict. So he begins chapter 2 like this. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, the ifs, if you will, in this passage aren't about some degree of, of doubt about being united with Christ, but, but really more about if they've experienced any encouragement in Christ or the other things he lists, then striving to be united is going to help Paul be filled with joy. Paul understands that right thinking leads to right living. And as that's done in their community of faith together, as, as we try to do it in ours, it helps others experience it too. It's not an individual, it's not a solo journey. We're in this together. Paul always sees great value in the body of Christ, in being in community with other Christians as crucial to what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We were not created to live life alone, to do it by ourselves, to manage it on our own, but to walk alongside others as they walk alongside us. And Paul knows that that was the example that Christ set himself through his disciples, through those he was closest to, all the time. Paul goes on then in verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul seems to be implying that at least some of the Philippian Christian community, some of them in there, were trying to make names for themselves. We're trying to kind of put themselves forward. And Paul believed that in doing that, he, they were hurting relationships. In Roman culture, and, we, and we, need to, we need to sometimes back up and understand the, the, the context. In Roman culture, it was common for people, it was expected of people to seek out honor and glory. It was a good thing they looked upon it that way. People did all kinds of things to seem important, to seem significant in the public eye. And it wasn't just the upper crust of society. Everybody up and down the ladder tried to do it. Now, I don't know that it's so different from today as I think we all know some folks who try to get ahead at any cost, who try to fit into the right circles, who, who maybe use social media to try to make themselves seem like a big deal. The problem, as, as Paul clearly understood, was that this self-seeking harmed relationships because it often made other people seem like they were just stepping stones for them to get ahead, to make a name for themselves. None of us likes to be used by others, and none of us particularly enjoys listening to someone bragging or posturing. So Paul tells the Philippians, hey guys, don't do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, or vain glory in some older translations. In other words, don't be so focused on your own agenda, on your own advancement. Don't be conceited. Or, or seek your own glory because it's not attractive. It's not very inviting. 
And the idea of vain, the word vain, is that of useless. He's saying of a useless conceit or a useless glory. Because they really, he, he's saying none of us really have anything for which to be conceited about, at least when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus does. Jesus, the Son of God, he didn't have vain or useless glory. Jesus had all the glory. And yet he didn't try to go around building himself up and say, look at me, I'm the Son of God. Hey, you need to do what I say. Hey, you need to, you need to bow down to me. You need to do it. He didn't, he didn't go around doing all that. In fact, the picture we see over and over again was that he humbled himself for our sakes. Paul lifts up Christ as, in fact, our model. We'll see this in just a few moments, beginning in verse 6. But Paul first spells out for us the antidote for this selfish ambition and vain conceit. And the first thing he says to do is that we need to seek to be humble. Humble, however you want to say the word. In saying this, let's understand that Paul was calling his readers to a very countercultural behavior. Because as I mentioned, it was, it was the norm in Roman culture for folks to seek out glory, to seek out honor. Humility was not considered a virtue. It, in fact, was considered a weakness of character in the first century. Humility, for those who were disdained it, thought it was for the insignificant, it was for the weak, it was for the poor, it was for the slaves, but, but no self-respecting Roman would ever try to live that way. I mean, you and I, we may not realize this, but it was really Christianity that began to value humility as a virtue based on the life and teachings of Jesus himself. Jesus said in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Luke 14, it tells us, now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, unless someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, hey, give up your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. In fact, this was such an important idea to Jesus that, that not only do we read this in Luke, but in the Gospel of Matthew, in a whole different context, Jesus says kind of the same thing. In Matthew 23, he says, The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let me be really clear. Humility is not an inferiority complex. I mean, this is really important. Sometimes we have the idea that humility means I'm supposed to be a doormat. I'm supposed to be nothing, useless. I'm supposed to talk down about myself all the time. 
The humble person it just doesn't seek public honor and is willing to do whatever is necessary and even accept positions of less prestige to do whatever it has to be. The, the, the humble person doesn't say, well, that's beneath me. The humble person doesn't say, well, you know, I've, I've risen above that. Humility sees oneself rightly as a creation of God along with everyone else. And therefore, they too are, everyone else, deserving of respect and honor. I came across this quote. I, I wish I could, I could not find the source. I know it was, it was read, uh, it was included by uh, uh, Rick Warren in a book of his, but he was not the original. But I love this quote. It says, Some, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now, now listen to that. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Theologian John Stott wrote, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. And, and then I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. He wrote, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. A humble person thinks of others, is genuinely interested in others because they too have been created by God. They too were created for a purpose. They, too, have gifts and abilities for the sake of the kingdom. They, too, matter. And Paul gives us the ultimate, then, picture of humility through what Jesus Christ himself did. Continuing in, in Philippians, beginning in verse 5, he writes, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, in other words, everything, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Equal to God. God, in every sense, Yet Jesus humbly submitted himself to God's purposes, even as it meant becoming flesh and blood. And not just as some great and powerful person, not as the king, not as someone who wielded 
great authority, who, who made people bow down before him through the power of, of, of God, but someone who served, who washed the feet of his disciples, who suffered for our sake to the point of death on a cross. The greatest person who ever lived, who, who has always existed from before the beginning of time, who created all there is, who could call down legions of angels to save himself, humbly submitted for your sake and mine. And Paul begins this incredible picture of of Jesus by calling his, his followers, the followers of Jesus, to have the same attitude where nothing is beneath us, where serving is a mark both of humility but also of inner strength, where God's love for us, for me, for each one of us individually is so well understood and believed that my ego and my worth are not on the line, no matter what somebody says, no matter what somebody else thinks. And therefore, I can love my neighbor regardless of what they think of me in whatever shape, form, or fashion that needs to take for their sake. And that then leads Paul to the other antidote for selfish ambition and vain conceit. He says, regard others as better than yourselves. And and he's not intending to dismiss us as, as nothing or worthless. This is really kind of the practical application for how we're to practice humility and show interest in others. Paul is writing to a community of faith, and it's his belief that we, when we're keeping our focus on Jesus, not on politics, not on each other, not on what's wrong, not on what's all that kind of stuff, but when we focus on Jesus and in his, his mission, then I don't have to worry about putting me first. Because if I am really in a community of faith, there are going to be some others in that community who will be concerned, in fact, about me. And in fact, allowing them to serve me is even a gift to them. Allowing someone to help me when I'm sick is a gift to them. Allowing somebody to help me when I'm struggling is a gift to them to live out their Christian giftedness and calling. As Paul talks about in Philippians 1 that allows them to live out their faith in Christ just as we're trying to do as well. Now, admittedly, in a perfect world, and certainly in heaven someday, this is how it's going to happen. It'll be great. But we all know we don't live in a perfect world. And our needs aren't going to always be the concern of those around us. In fact, often they won't be. But here's the thing you and I need to remember. You and I are not called to imitate the world, but to imitate Jesus. We're not called to get even. We're not called to try to get ahead. We're called to have that same mind, that same attitude that was in Christ Jesus Nothing will change if we don't seek to live for the sake of others, ourselves. And and Jesus is the model. Jesus is the key because people clearly didn't always put his concerns over theirs. And yet Jesus did it anyway. 
And Paul said that one day God will bestow on Jesus the appropriate honor for his humility and love for others. And and so one day when you and I meet Jesus face to face, as we have lived that way, he will bestow appropriate honor on us. And it will be worth whatever we had to endure. But if we've been genuinely seeking to be like Christ above all, the other thing is we won't believe we deserve it, nor will we need it. But we will appreciate it. None of this can happen in your strength or mine because we're, we're almost constantly tempted to show everybody else up, to lift ourselves up at the expense of others, to be filled with pride versus humility. None of this is possible unless we keep Jesus Christ at the center of our lives and we seek not just to imitate him, but to allow him through his spirit living in us to give us the power and the will to live this way. In other words, it's not not just an act, though it may start out with an action that we have to consciously choose, but that through his power, increasingly, it becomes who we are, like Jesus. Because here's the thing you and I need to remember. Anywhere in this worship service, anywhere in the next hour, anywhere the rest of today, Anywhere the rest of this week, and in fact, for the rest of your life and mine, everything we do, we do for an audience of one. For an audience of one. Not to win favors, not to impress people, but in putting Christ at the center of our lives and attempting to be his disciples, to imitate his life We humbly seek what's best for others. And when we do that, many, many people, though certainly not all, but many will respond with surprise, sometimes gratitude, maybe questions, and we will be serving and loving those around us. Disciples of Jesus Christ, increasingly, we overlook our rights. I mean, that's what everybody wants to say. Well, it's my right Well, yeah, it may be in this country, you're right, but it doesn't mean it's right with Jesus. We need to overlook our rights and what's coming to us for the sake of those around us, and we do this by deciding to be interested in those around us, caring about them, wanting to know them better, and that builds and strengthens relationships. I think that's one of the reasons I like Jim Turley so much. Because his love and his genuine interest in me has driven me to the desire to be more like him. And he would tell you he is trying to be more like Jesus. Read about a guy who was invited to a lunch where he was told there were going to be some really well-known public figures there. And 
he noted a, a friend of his was saying grace at the start of the meal, and this is one of the things his friend said in the grace. He said, remember, the most interesting person in the room is the one you're sitting next to. Imagine if we lived that way here in our church. The person sitting next to you right now, in this moment, is the most interesting person in the room. And you want to know about them. You want to appreciate them. You want to figure out how to invest in their life and get to know them better. Imagine if we did that with our families. Imagine if you did it at work. Now, I know some people would think you're nuts. But we all know that the best work always works through relationships. And if you spent time getting to know your coworkers or your boss or those who work for you, you spent time getting to know the neighbors. Imagine how our interest in others, spurred by Christ's love for us, opens up all kinds of new relationships, deepens others, and in all of them reveals at a deeper level who Jesus Christ is and his willingness to give up all of heaven simply for the sake of that person, for the sake of you for the sake of me. Paul says, have that attitude among you. And we will be amazed at what God can do through us and for us. Through you and for you. That's why we're, we're so encouraging you to dig into this journey of discipleship. If you haven't done it, I saw a lot of your hands go up, but I didn't see all the hands go up right after this service. There's a chance to go down and just be a part of that. Go, go to communion first. We are celebrating communion. But it'll be over by, by uh, 11 o'clock, and you can then go and do that to just get a stronger biblical base for why this matters, for why we're doing this, for why... Discipleship is not about how much I know. Ultimately, it's about how much do I love. How much do I imitate Jesus to invest and be interested and do whatever it takes for the sake of others? Because I want to tell you, that kind of faith is irresistible. That kind of faith is what the world is looking for. And that's the kind of faith he's calling you and me to live as his church, as followers of Jesus. Our prayer team will be down here if there's something you need to talk to somebody about, if you want to dig in deeper to something. Um, if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest with us today, I'll be out here if you're going to be participating in communion, and we, we welcome you to do that. If you go out, go down this hallway to our Life Center, and it'll be beginning in just a few minutes. That also is something Jesus told us to do.
to re- help us remember who he is and what he has done for us so that as he humbly did that for you and me, we can humbly do that for others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who though God was obedient to you and emptied himself and became flesh and blood like us, not to lord it over us, not to show us how powerful he was, not to impress us, but ultimately to love us, to show us that our lives matter, that someone cares. And Father, you call us to imitate him, that as disciples we follow him. As as followers of Jesus, we seek to see others as you see them and be interested in them and care about them and love on them and help them and encourage them. Father, in doing that, we will discover the depths of relationships we didn't even know were possible because people are drawn to those who are interested in them. And help us all point to you because you have the ultimate interest in every one of us because you sent Jesus to die for each one of us. We thank you. We pray this all in the name, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the person next to you. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.